Good morning again. You guys look great this morning. Fantastic fall, October, Colorado day. It's folks from Louisiana, Colorado in September and October is unbelievable. And uh, the weather's good. It's crisp in the morning, but it warms up where you can still wear shorts, so it's always good. I'm just bummed that it means winter is around the corner, though. How many are with me? Bah humbug. I'm sorry. Um, Let me pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, may the living word of Jesus Christ be glorified and flood and fill our minds with truth and purpose and hope that's found in your son. We thank you so much for your great love. We thank you for Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for one another. And God, I I pray for everybody listening online or in this room, God, there's burdens and struggles and cares. Lord, you told us to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. Help us to believe that, live in that reality this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. How many ever have heard the, the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty? If you Google hindsight is twenty twenty, all you get is twenty twenty jokes, like looking back at what twenty twenty was. So I'm not gonna go there. But hindsight is the recognition of realities, possibilities, or requirements of a situation, event, decision after its occurrence. So it's looking back and saying sometimes coulda, shoulda, woulda. And sometimes positively, it's looking back and going, wow, if this thing hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened, and so on and so forth. So there's kind of a positive and a negative way of looking at hindsight. Somebody said, hindsight shows you how a mistake looks from behind. That's so true. We're in a series called Longing for the King, which kind of is coinciding with our Bible reading plan. Um, Those that are new with us, we've been reading through the the Bible starting in Genesis since Easter. And we're now in what they call the wisdom literature, where you have the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, um, Psalms, Proverbs, and the Song of, of Solomon. And finally, the reading plan, as well as the Sunday sermons for a brief period of time, are are sinking back up because we start Ecclesiastes um, this week, if you're you're there. If you got behind and you have that Bible reading guilt, will you forgive yourself? And just fast forward to it and and not try to be bogged down. It's just do the best that you can. This isn't a, a legalistic thing. It's something that we're trying to grow in our discipleship to Jesus and how we handle the Word of God. And most of the time, people avoid the Old Testament, right? And yet, when you read through the Old Testament looking for Jesus and fulfillment of things, then it begins to make more sense and to see how connected He is with Israel and the story of Israel. And so, Kristen did a great job for two weeks talking about, uh, yeah, you always get clapped for and I never do, but that's okay. It's a whole other story. Um, and she talked about the kings of, of kings, Israel wanting a king and they got Saul and we know how that didn't work out so good with Saul and then God raises up David and then last week she talked about their failures and how David repented, but Saul just, he never, he never repented. And so the tale of two failures. So today I'm going to talk about 
Solomon, who is King David's son. And he inherited the kingdom after David passed away. And he's got quite, quite the story. But before we get into that, I'm going to give a little background here. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says that David says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord. It's not the greatest word in English to think of because we only think of being afraid to some degree. But the, real, the, the Hebrew word for fear is to stand in awe of God, to stand in awe of who he is. And Tim Mackey, who's the Bible Project guy whom put together the reading plan that we're doing, 365 days looking for Jesus throughout the Bible, he said this about the fear of the Lord. This is the best definition of the fear of the Lord I've ever heard. The fear of the Lord is a healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. It says, God, you get to define what's good and evil because you're the creator and you know all things. I don't get to define that. We let God define what is good and evil. So that's really what the fear of the Lord is. So I want to look at, at the, the, the grandpa, son, and grand, uh, grandson lineage in, first of all, King David. King David represents commitment. He was a man after God's own heart. We know that David failed many times, right? He failed really bad. But God knew he was going to fail, and he still said even before those failures, this is a man that's after my own heart, a man who will be committed to our covenant, a man who will be com committed to Israel following in the, the commandments and statutes that God had, had given for their covenant relationship. And then you have King Solomon. He represents compromise. Now, looking at the life of King Solomon, man, his calling at the, at the beginning was amazing. You read 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10, Solomon did some amazing things. I mean, he, he, he asked God, he says, will you give me wisdom to discern right from wrong? He didn't ask him for riches and, and popularity and fame. He said, will you give me wisdom to discern right from wrong and good and evil on behalf of your people in this covenant relationship? And God said, you know what? Because you didn't ask me for riches and fame, I'm going to give you those as well as make you the wisest person that's ever lived. And yet he had a little crack in his armor, a little chink in his armor, where he broke covenant with God, and he had these little compromises where, because Solomon loved the ladies, and he, that led him to idol worship, and it led him to uh, break the covenant that God said, don't have any other gods but me. Stay in covenant with me. Little compromises can turn into to big things pretty quick. The whole everybody's doing it. We've all been there, right? Well, everybody's doing it. Like, what's, what's wrong? I'm just joining the crowd. A couple funny stories came to my mind as I was putting this together. First of all, years ago, when CU football was actually a thing, like when they were actually good, like a long time ago, in uh, 1994, my dad and my brother and I were at the game, and they had just pounded somebody they were going on to a championship season, and the, it comes on towards the end of the game on the intercom or the, the stadium sound thing said, 
do not rush the field and do not tear down the goalposts, right? Because that's what we crazy fans like to do. And as soon as the clock ran out, what do you think happened? Everybody rushed the field. And my dad had good seats. We were close to getting on the field. And him and my brother jump over the fence. They're doing what everybody's doing, and they jump over the fence. And it was so funny. I chose not to because I'm a good little boy, a little angel. And um, as they were going across, the usher picks out my dad. And he stops him and says, sir, stop. And my dad goes, out of all these people, everyone's doing this, and you pick on me, the old man. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty funny. And he, said, he actually said everyone was doing it. And then him and my brother must have felt guilty because they came back into the stands. Um, back in July, when our first trip to go see our daughter Chase prior to her um, delivering our little, little granddaughter Jolene, we, uh, the first night we were there, we had a rental car. And the place that we were staying had the world's worst parking garage situation. I mean, you basically had to put it in four-wheel drive to go straight up in this parking garage, and then it was really small. And as we're trying to find a, a parking space, we're tired. It's a long journey out to, to Hawaii, and we're, we're, you know, just want to get into our room and, and get unpacked and, and settled. And so Janelle is a way better driver than me, and she's way better parallel parker than me, and I'm not too proud to, to admit that. And so she was driving, and we we're trying to find a parking space, and I kept seeing these signs that said, do not back in to this parking spot. Severe damage can happen. And I saw that, picked that up. Doo -doo -doo. And so we're driving, and she likes to reverse backwards into parking spots. Doesn't matter where we're at. And so she says, I'm going to back in. And I said, well, I, I, I saw these signs that said not to do that. But there were some people that had, you know, parked backwards in their spot. She goes, well, everybody else is doing it. She knows I'm telling this story, by the way. <laughs> so she's backing in. And um, as, she's, as she's backing in, she's going backwards. You got the camera and everything. All of a sudden, boom, the whole back glass just shattered. And we were, looked at each other like, what in the world just happened? And we get out, and on the sign that says severe damage can happen if you back in, there's this piece of sprinkler metal, metal sprinkler that was right at the height of your back window that the camera would not pick up. And that's why they have those signs that say that. So it, it really stunk, okay? <laughs> Look at her face. That was legit. So, oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry. Um, but everybody's doing it. Just kidding. Um, so the next morning, we get and take the rental car to back to the airport to get a new car. And I kid you not, as we're pulling in, we're pulling in, and there's the Safelite auto glass van, and there's like eight cars with their back <laughs> windshields all crashed like that. So it, everybody's doing it, right? Now, humorous stories, but the reality is compromise can lead to destruction. It can lead to bad things happen, which leads me to our third king, and that's King Rehoboam. The compromise of Solomon led to his son's corruption. 
which led to Israel being exiled into Babylon and their enemies overtaking them and, and not keeping the covenant there. And so when little compromises are left unchecked by us, they build and they can go deeper and cause more destruction. That's why it's so important, young people in this room, man, I wish I would have known when I was young that when God says to do something or not to do it, it's because he loves me. And he has my very best interest at heart. He has your best interest at heart, young people. Like all the things that are going to challenge you to, to compromise, all of us. But believe that he knows what's best. That's the fear of the Lord. Is God, you get to define what is good and evil, not me. So three ways we can gain wisdom. Looking at, at Solomon in, in his life, there's three ways we can gain wisdom. The first is the easiest one, but the one we, we avoid the most is from God. From God. Again, Solomon cried out to God for wisdom, and he, he gave it to him. Made him the wisest man that ever lived. And then James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter to the church, he tells the church, he says, listen, if you lack wisdom... Any of you lacks wisdom, ask God for it, and he'll pour it out upon you liberally. He'll pour out wisdom. So today, if you're struggling in decisions or future or relationships or whatever it is, say, God, will you pour out your wisdom on me? Because you know what wisdom really is, godly wisdom? It's more than knowledge and knowing facts. Wisdom is having God's perspective of life. It's being able to look at life from God's vantage point. It, it, you remember back in the garden, there were trees that God said they, that Adam and Eve could eat from. But then there was two specific ones. There's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life represents believing that God loves us and has our best intentions at heart. And Jesus walked in the tree of life, metaphorically speaking, in that he always did the will of his father. He was always in tune with what the Father wanted for him. And you and I, if we can just say, God, I want to eat from the tree of life, not from my own wisdom, which leads me to the next point is I can gain wisdom from myself. And that's exactly what happens in the garden is they decided to, to be wise in their own eyes and, and decide what was good and evil. And if you remember... In Eve's temptation, in Adam's temptation, in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, it says when Eve had taken the fruit, she desired it. And she said, and it's, this is good and delightful to, for gaining wisdom. That's a key point. There are little hyperlinks all over the scriptures about going back to the garden and being wise in our own eyes rather than walking in the fear of, of the Lord. Adam and Eve, if they would have feared the Lord before and believed that he, he was the one that defines good and evil, then, then they wouldn't have done what they did. That goes for us. They feared him afterwards. Remember, they were naked and afraid. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And thirdly, we've all been here. We can learn from failure. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> I certainly do. And that's what we're going to get the, the crux of our message this morning is the life of Solomon. And in Ecclesiastes, he's, he's looking back, now older, he's reflecting 
on his folly. He's reflecting on, man, being wise in my own eyes, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of messes. Solomon is, is saying in Ecclesiastes, especially chapter 1 and 2, hey, in hindsight, I wish I would have done it different. But he learned. And there's two phrases that he uses about 29 times in chapters 1 and 2. Under the sun and, and chasing after the wind. Under the sun is this poetic way of describing life and perspective here on earth without God included. That's really what it is. If you have a friend or somebody who's maybe seeking answers uh, to, to life, I, I often tell people to read Ecclesiastes first before they get the gospel because it, it leads you to kind of this, you know, what's the point of life? What's the meaning? And I know for me, following Jesus, he answers the big questions of life. He answers a lot of the questions that Solomon is, is asking and talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes. We were made by God and for God, and until we understand that, life's never going to make sense. It's never going to make sense. And then he uses the phrase, chasing after the wind. And that's another poetic way of talking about pursuits of joy and purpose outside of God, that they're endless and futile. What's the point of life? Is it about making money, seeking pleasure, achievements, etc.? So how can we learn from the hindsight of Solomon? How can we look at this Ecclesiastes letter and learn from it? Because Solomon continually felt two emotions as he looked for happiness and satisfaction. And let's face it, all of us are looking for joy, we're looking for happiness. We're looking to live a satisfied life. And Solomon is a, a great example for all of us. He felt two emotions. The first one was frustration. The words of a frustrated man, meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, vanity is what life is. These are the words of a man that's saying, what's the point? There was a song back in, when I was in high school I can't remember the name of the band. It was some heavy hard rock band. And, and it, the, the chorus of the song was birth, jung, 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 work, jung, jung, jung. No, it was birth, jung, 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 school, jung, jung, jung. That was the riff. Uh, work, and then death. Birth, school, work, death. Birth, school, work, death. Cheery song, right? I mean, <laughs> what's the point, right? And then he also felt futility. And he talks about being under the sun 29 times, this empty, emptiness without God, an emptiness with pursuing life without God. So I want to do three, three little points here uh, to talk about Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 and gaining from the hindsight of Solomon. First of all, I want to talk about Solomon's experiment. And he's writing these words, and he's saying, man, in hindsight... I went all in. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take, uh, you know, life by the reins, all, going all in. And the first thing he did is he searched for wisdom. He searched for wisdom. He says, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done in the world. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Now, this is his vantage point. God didn't do that, but in his pursuit 
of, of wisdom and life and all of this stuff without God, he's like, whoa, like what's, again, what's the point in all of this? I could be the smartest man, wisest man, but when I didn't know God, it, didn't, it just didn't matter. And you ask a lot of the real smart people, Albert Einstein went through this. All the things that he learned and the theory of relativity and so forth, he came to the conclusion there has to be some sort of God in his, his own life. So without the acknowledgement of God, we, we make up our own purpose. You ever been there? Where you're trying to find your purpose for your life without including God. I know I did that the first 25 years of my life. We're left to our own instincts and then lack of purpose. And that lack of purpose is a painful um, existence. When you don't know who you are and whose you are and why you exist, that's painful. But when you come to know Jesus Christ, the author of life, the author and finisher of your faith, and you begin to realize that I'm created by God and for God. I'm created by Christ and for Christ. Therefore, my purpose is not about me. It's about him. Learning to walk in that. He searched for wisdom, and then he searched for pleasure. He said, I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. It is silly to be laughing all the time, I said. What good does it, does it do to seek only pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. While seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I hope to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Social media, TV, etc., is always pushing for us to have a better life, the good life. Get rich quick. Get in shape quick. Take this pill, do this diet, and you'll look, have your beach body ready to roll. And anybody ever done a timeshare presentation? Ooh, if you own a timeshare, bless you, and I hope you use it. Janelle and I sat through one one time, and I mean, we were like. 10 minutes, and she had us sold like this. We could go on vacation for cheap, and where do, oh, let's don't do that. I've heard too many horror stories, but it's always pushing something that, that's, you know, the easy way, so to speak. Buy now, pay later. I know in my life, the first 25 years of my life, I thought life was about having fun. I still like to have fun, but you know, and I would pursue all kinds of different dreams. I wanted to play baseball. I wasn't good enough for that. I grew my hair long, was in a band. We weren't good enough. I uh, was going to do business, acting. And it wasn't until I encountered Jesus that I realized that this isn't about me. This is about me walking in his purpose and plan. And then pleasure wasn't enough for Solomon, so he searched in the area of achievement. He searched in the area of achievement. He said, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. You talk to people all the time that, that have achieved things, success. You hear it in a lot of like, you know, rock stars or people who have money. They're still empty at the end of the day. They have what we think is the good life, but they're still empty. In 
Ecclesiastes, he says, I undertook great things. I built things. I made. I planted. And he's really reflecting back that he was very self-motivated. It was all about him. He not only tried it all, he did it for himself. And his experiment left him empty. His experiment left him empty. So then let's shift now from his experiment to his Solomon's evaluation. Solomon was the guy we think we need to be happy and satisfied. The guy had the good life, and he still wasn't happy. He says in Ecclesiastes 2.20, I've done everything, and I cannot find happiness or satisfaction. So I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. I mean, Ecclesiastes is kind of a bummer, right? To, to some degree as, you, as you're reading it from his perspective, his hindsight. He's saying, I'm the king. I'm wealthy. I got the ladies. <laughs> he had 600 wives and 300 concubines. Like, wow. <laughs> and he's saying, I, yet I can't find happiness and satisfaction. And he's saying, if I can't, how can anybody? Why are we so devastated when our avenues of joy and happiness shatter? This is a good question to ponder. When something that we find so much pleasure and joy and satisfaction, when that shatters, we're devastated. And our foundations of our life are exposed on what am I really building my life on? I don't know if you ever saw the original movie, Friday Night Lights, before the TV show. It had uh, Billy Bob Thornton as the coach, and it was based on a true story of a high school football team in West Texas where uh, high school football on Friday nights is, is, is the thing. And I remember in that movie, there was a, a character named Booby Miles. Now, I don't know if his parents named him that or if it was a nickname, but if they named him that, they, they should apologize to him. But he was a star running back, and he, was, he had letters from all the big schools, scholarship offers, and they show this kind of thing, pattern in his life where he didn't work out and lift weights. He was just de depending upon his, his talent, his God-given ability. And it, early in the season, he had a knee injury, tweaked his knee. And he uh, sat out for a little bit, and um, he was not playing in one of the games. The coach was like, you need to get your knee healed up, etc." And they were losing, though, in a game they needed to win. And Booby kept saying, y'all want to win? Put Booby in. And he chanted that over and over until the coach like, okay, I'll put you in. Are you sure you're okay? He said, I'm sure, coach. And he wasn't. And sure enough, first play he's out there, he completely destroys his knee. And they show him at the doctor the next day, and the doctor's telling him, um, listen, I'm sorry, your injury is so severe, you're not going to play football anymore. And he is devastated. It's one of those scenes where the acting was so good, you just felt so bad for this guy. But when the things that we're pursuing are shattered, and we don't have the foundation of Jesus, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus has given me everything I need for life and godliness and purpose and hope and peace and eternal life. 
That's what we need to understand. And I can relate to some of that. I tried my own experiment. I'm grateful it led me to Jesus. Last thing is Solomon's conclusion on the matter. Two things he concludes in Ecclesiastes early on. He says, every blessing is from God. Every blessing that we have is from God. He says, so I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that this pleasure is from the hand of God. We're not to pursue the gifts of God as our, for our purpose and joy. We're to pursue the giver of the gifts and then enjoy his gifts. Does that make sense? He's the giver. So pursue him. Pursue joy and purpose and satisfaction in him, and then you'll find it in the simple things in life, the simple gifts in life. A, a, a good realization Solomon had that life is a gift and that the simple things in life are a gift. And we can only enjoy them when we realize they are a gift from God. Otherwise, we abuse his gifts, his good gifts, whether it be food, drink, whatever. You, you fill in the blank there. And then he concluded that every blessing without God eventually will be without joy. He says, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. Most of life is pretty ordinary. You've discovered that, right? You get up, you go to work, take care of kids, you have your hobbies, you take kids to soccer or football or, you know, their, their, their projects, their music lessons, whatever, and then you keep growing. And, and life is just a series of simple, ordinary things. But 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. In other words, ordinary things become sacred, extraordinary things when we see them from the hand of God. And we have a heart of thankfulness. And, it, and that's what Solomon is getting at here. Solomon never found what he was looking for until he realized this. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, at the end of his letter, his book here, he says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. Again, let him define what's good and evil and keep his commandments because this applies to every person to every human. Fear God and walk in his ways. Do what he says to do. Include God in everything. And here's the, the thing. We f in Jesus, we find everything we're searching for. In the person of Jesus, we find true joy, true peace, true satisfaction. Jesus, at one point, um, you know, in John chapter 7 talks about when we come to him, rivers of living water will flow from within us. And that when you come to him, you find life, you find uh, satisfaction for your thirst and hunger, metaphorically speaking, for our souls. Jesus is everything. And he came to fulfill all these things that we're reading in the Old Testament. He came to fulfill what was written of him you know, on the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And he came in human flesh. 
He came and had a body like ours. He was born into this world, and he was on a mission. He was on a mission to show people what God the Father was really like. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. That's what God is like. And he came to defeat our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. He defeated death by submitting himself unto death to rise again to to defeat death. Paul, the apostle, says he abolished death by what he did. He nailed our sin to the cross, and he took away the authority of the evil one, and he defeated it him and the powers and the principalities to give us real life so we can have peace and joy in the midst of chaos and we have the promise and hope of eternal life we stand with me we're going to take communion in response this morning as we move into taking the communion elements I, I want you to Grab a a piece of bread and a cup and take it back to your seat as the worship team leads us in a song, and then we'll take it corporately together. But before we take communion, this is a sacred thing. Jesus said to, to, to do this in remembrance of him. And so today, if you're not sure that that you're a follower of Jesus, um, listen, you don't make him Lord and Savior, he already is. You come into agreement with him. Jesus, I believe you're my Savior. I believe and agree with you that you are the Lord. And I want to follow you. I give you all my stuff. And I believe that you you did die for me. But you also rose again. And when we take the bread, we're remembering his life, death, and resurrection and his coming again, his second coming. He's coming back one day. And the dead in Christ... (laughs) will come with him. All that are, that are with him will come back. And then if you happen to be alive when Jesus returns, you'll be changed. After the dead in Christ receive their resurrected bodies, we'll be changed and we'll live with the Lord on this new, uh, renewed earth forever with no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, or any of that stuff. It'll be done. We're in this in-between phase right now. And so when we take the elements, we're reminding ourselves of what, that, he, that he died, that he rose, and that he's coming again. So, Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, may you flood and fill our minds with your truth, with your goodness, and your love. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab the two tables and then come back to your seat and we'll take it together. Let's
night he was betrayed Jesus was with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it and he said this is my body which is broken for you basically saying I'm gonna go through a lot I'm gonna suffer at the hands of sinful men he said 
but I'm, I'm going to, on three day, in three days, I'm going to rise and give the victory to defeat our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. He said, take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take it. After supper, he took a cup of wine and he, he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he told his disciples, he said, this is, represents the blood of the new covenant. All the old sacrificial stuff was going to be fulfilled in his final sacrifice, the sacrifice of all sacrifices. And he said, do take and drink in remembrance of me. And as we take this juice this morning, let's remember the love that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have for each one of us. As you take it, take it in faith. Take in his very life and trust him and believe him that he has your best intentions at heart. He loves you with an eternal love. Let's take the cup. May the God of all grace, may the God of all peace, the God of all hope, Flood and fill your hearts and minds with that peace and hope and love and purpose that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be a witness to this world of the love that God has for his creation in the gospel, the good news. May you and your spheres of influence, have opportunities to bless people around you with his love, with his peace, with the declaration that it is finished. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. And may your relationships, your marriages, your friendships with your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow students, may those relationships Walk in the blessing of knowing Jesus and his peace. And may we all walk in love and that the world will know that we're his disciples because we love and care for one another. May you grow in your relationship with Jesus. May it be your whole life be anchored in the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Amen.